Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, I've uh, been thinking about the reality. Good to see you, Jen. Good to see you, Perry. And everyone else, too. But... Good to see you, too, Dave. Good to see you, Eric. So uh, I've been thinking about this reality. Um, I don't understand the world. Yeah. So... Uh, I did uh, Strengths Finder a while back. I don't know how many of you have had the privilege of doing Strengths Finder. That uh, that's a that uh, analyzes your personality, and uh, it it basically is trying to say to you that you there are 32 possible strengths you might have, and here are your strengths. And I don't know if you've done it, but if you've read it, you realize that many of them are not strengths. <laughs> it just it's just marketing is what's going on there, because sometimes you read it and you go. I have this, but I don't think it's a good thing. <laughs> but my number one strength is contextualization. Yeah, and I didn't know what that meant. Because it's one of those strengths that you're like, what? what? How does that mean? So I read the chapter, and what it turns out is, what it's telling me is I don't understand the world. That's what it's telling me. You say, you don't get it, so you spend most of your energy trying to figure out the past. You love history. You just spend time there because it makes sense to you. And if you can understand the past, then somehow you extrapolate lessons about the present. I don't know if that's true, but I do spend a lot of time in the past. (laughs) And as I think about that and what that means and what that looks like, I'm just curious how many of us in this room feel like, no, I got a grip on what's real. I got it figured out. I know, I know what the real stuff is all about. I know where to spend my time. I know where to spend my energy. The world makes sense to me. I see my place in it. I understand the order of things. I get it. I just get it. Because it seems to me that that matters. That somehow that we live in our own little story, as we talked about last week, and we can come to believe that our story is the story. Even though we know that my story is not the story. My story is important, but it's a part of a bigger story. And if I forget that, then I'm damaged in some way. I'm limited in some way. And so we're doing this little series on what it means to celebrate and to worship and to, to praise. And to, we talked last week about shifting our vision, what it means to get a different perspective. Today we're thinking about what it means to praise. And I think these two things go together. It's hard to praise until you shift your vision. Amen? <laughs> and then what do you praise? And why do you praise? And, and what's the content of that praise and celebration? And what does it look like? So Plato said, every heart sings a song incomplete until another heart whispers back. And we're just stealing it and changing it. Every heart sings a song incomplete until the heart of God whispers back. Because I think that's true. I think there's something in our wiring that was created to resonate with what is eternal and real and good and permanent, things we can depend on and count on. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. 
and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. And I think, how, how much would that matter as a promise to you today? Because I don't know about you, but when I walk around in the world, I feel like a lot of the time it's a slimy pit and it's not firm footing. And I'm like, I don't know. Ah! <laughs> I mean, how much, what percentage of time do you spend angry? You don't have to shout it out or anything. <laughs> I mean, whether you're here in the room or, you know, you're joining us online today, how much time do you spend upset? That has something to do with where I'm looking. It has something to do with what I'm seeing. It has, it has something to do, honestly, with the slimy pit. I mean, <laughs> there's a slimy pit. I don't know. It doesn't have to be a slimy literal pit. It just be an attitude, slimy attitude pit. <laughs> anybody know anybody with one of those? <laughs> Not you nice people, but, you know. And I cried out to the Lord, and he heard my cry, and he turned his face to me. And he lifted me out of this. Listen to what he did. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And he put my feet on solid ground. He gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a song in my mouth. A song of praise for my God. And this is not just a moment. This is not just a little proof texting. This is the DNA of the Word of God. This is the truth of what happens when human beings humble themselves and seek his face. And we enter into this space of relationship. I believe this. I believe that you and I were created to praise. In fact, I believe that all creation was created to give praise to God. Now, you don't have to believe that, but you should know this, that the Scripture, the Bible, indicates that that is a true statement, that it is woven into the fabric of creation to give praise to the Creator. In fact, I think you and I are so inclined to give praise. It is so woven into who we are that we praise something. My question this morning would be, what is it that you praise? Because people praise. They just praise. They just get all excited about stuff. So we praise a lot of things in our world, like we praise celebrities because they're wise. <laughs> But we do. We do. We praise sports. We praise sports. I mean, the mood of a whole church can be defined by the outcome of what happened last night. I don't know. I don't know. But, but you know, if the Dodgers win... And you can kind of label, yeah, see. <laughs> and you can label the crowd right away, you know, because this is a Dodger crowd. It's largely a USC crowd. <laughs> see what happens? I'm just saying the crowd is more depressed when USC loses than when UCLA loses. That's all I'm saying. Maybe UCLA people are better adjusted. I don't know. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> the point is we praise. We do. We're going to find something to praise. Isn't it crazy the subcultures that live in our world and in our culture? In the United States of America, the subcultures that exist are nutty. Nutty. 
You pick any kind of hobby that you think is just an innocent little hobby. I guarantee you there's a newsletter, an organization, a convention, and awards for you. Somewhere. Somewhere. People are getting together because they planted begonias in their backyard. There is an association of people. And they walk around and they praise the plant. Oh, look at this one. Because it is woven into us. And we do it. In fact, we're told, psychologically speaking, that there's an inverse relationship. So, so what upsets us is generally what we value at a high level. So I try to think about that. Isn't it funny what upsets us? I mean, aren't you embarrassed? Like if I said, open mic, come on up and tell me what upset you in the last 24 hours. What really got you going? Okay. Here's what upset me. Yesterday I washed my car. Cleaned it all up. Drove over to Pasadena, Brazil this morning, pulled into the parking place. I was gathering my stuff. I was going, what is that noise? I parked under the air conditioner. It was pouring condensation over my car. <laughs> I got out of my car, and I found Scott, and I said, Scott! I don't care who gets ministered to this week. You've got to fix that air conditioner. <laughs> Made my car dirty. Maybe you have a similar story. You just when you stop and you go, what upset me? Oh, you know, they messed up my coffee at Starbucks. I have an expectation that everything in my world runs smoothly, that I'm respected and honored in such a way that when I walk into Starbucks, they say, oh, sir, we know your drink. Here it is. It's perfectly prepared for you. That's good service. That's the way it ought to work. Because there's an inverse relationship there between what upsets me and I'm so often upset by the culture, by the world, by things I see, by things I read. And I don't know if you know this, but we live in a remedial culture. It's feeding us constantly on what's broken. Read the headlines. Earlier in the past year, I said, read the newspaper. And then I thought, yeah, that ain't, that ain't it. Read the headlines wherever you find them. They're not throwing things up there that are positive. They're throwing things up there that are negative. They're messing with us. And I don't know about you, but my insides churn. I feel twisted up. I feel like the world is broken and it's going downhill and it's getting worse and worse. And I'm not sure exactly who's to blame, but somebody's wrong. Not me, but somebody's got to be wrong. And I think when we sit in that space. So the scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's a lot of people now that will say, oh, I don't think we ought to fear the Lord. Well, the ancients are just making a point. They're not saying be terrified of God. They're saying that when we give this sort of reverence to things, it begins to be the thing that influences our state of mind and our being. What is real? What in your life is informing your inner world, your relational world, that is real, that is eternal, that is true, and it's 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 true. Psalms 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalms 148, which is one of five psalms that David concludes in the collection. Five songs, psalms of great praise that end. Psalms 148, listen to these words. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you shining stars. Praise Him you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at His command they were created. And He established them forever and ever. And He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. You great sea creatures in all ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do His bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals, all cattle, small creatures, flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on the earth, young men and women, old men and children, let the praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and He has raised up His people for His people a horn, the praise of all His faithful servants of Israel, the people close to His heart, praise the Lord. In fact, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where we're not looking up, we lose control. Because it matters. It matters that we give praise, but it matters that we praise something that is genuine and real and good. And the scripture has this understanding. In fact, Jesus in Luke 19 says, listen, if the rocks, if these people are quiet, the rocks are going to cry out. Because woven into the DNA of creation is this need to give praise, this need to give honor, that even the most inanimate objects of creation that have the smallest measure of the divine have a need to give praise. What do you praise? What is first and foremost in your journey, in your life, as you think about what that looks like? St. Francis of Assisi uh, was uh, born in 1182, and he died in 1226. So, uh, living uh, over the break between the 12th and 13th centuries. And St. Francis was uh, the son of a wealthy silk merchant. And so he grew up in privilege. And he lived the life of a privileged individual, meaning that he indulged himself in all kinds of pleasure. We're told that St. Francis as a young man was a party animal. Uh, that's, just, that's just the truth of it. Before that was fashionable, St. Francis was a guy that was most interested in the next good time. And he spent a great deal of his time and energy and a great deal of his wealth in pursuit of that. And we're told that after a period of time indulging in that lifestyle, he, he found that it was empty. He found that it didn't feed something that he needed in his life and in his soul. And so he decided to move on from that. And he moved on from that experience to the life of a soldier. He, he joined uh, the military and he fought in a number of wars and battles, and we're told that he was even taken prisoner. He was a prisoner of war for over a year. And in that time of reflecting, in that time of experiencing the life that he assumed would be heroic, that would give his life meaning, that he would fight and offer his life for great causes, he realized that that too was really empty for him. And he entered into a period of time in his life in which he, I would assume, based on what is said, <laughs> Of depression. He simply withdrew from life. He withdrew from his friends. He withdrew from his family. He isolated himself. And he entered into a period of time in which he became highly reflective. He writes later that during this time of his life, he had a number of visions that he began to see things that he believed God was teaching him and leading him. And during this time of isolation and seclusion, as he ventured out in a minimal ways into his world, he began to see people in need. And he decided that what he would do is he would simply offer his services to whoever he met that was in need. And so he began a very simple life. He started to offer help for someone who needed it. 
We're told that in a relatively short amount of time, others noticed what was happening. They noticed a change in him, and they noticed the behavior that was going on, and they began to ask questions, and they began to ask, could they participate as well? And so they did. They began to participate in caring, simply caring for the people around them. They, they had also been through the process of trying out a lot of things, praising a lot of things, honoring a lot of things with their life, and finding it unfulfilling and not meaningful, and they began to say, we're just going to bloom where we're planted. We're going to look around. As we encounter people in need, we're going to take care of them. St. Francis was not a priest. He never applied for the priesthood. He never became a priest. He, was a, he considered himself to be simply a, pri- a friar. He was simply a follower of the Word of God. That's what he considered himself to be. However, his activity for some reason had struck a nerve in the culture, in the world. And soon there were thousands of people who were participating in the order, as they called it. Not just men, but women. Women becoming very active in the order, so much so that given the culture and the separation between men and women, he founded a second order, the Order of St. Clair, so that women could also serve. It became a monastic lifestyle. In other words, it became a lifestyle in which they withdrew from the world and they lived to serve. And these two orders stood side by side. They became itinerant, meaning they began to travel. People who were committed to this order of just caring for the poor would travel. And as they traveled, more and more people got involved. In 1210, Pope Innocent III said, this is now a a national movement. It is sweeping across Europe, in fact. And he recognized the Franciscan order for the first time. An order that didn't have a priest as its leader produced thousands and thousands of priests committed to the cause of simply walking out the front door and seeing people in need and meeting that need. There was a third order for those that couldn't travel, that couldn't become itinerant, that couldn't leave their jobs and their work and their family and the farm and all of those things. And Francis recognized that, that there was an avocation to people, meaning there was a thing that needed to happen so you could make money, but that was not your vocation. Your vocation was to serve God, was to give praise to God and to serve, love God with all your heart, love others as yourself. And so he founded a third order, and that order was for folks who couldn't pull up and leave and travel. They just were simply going to live this lifestyle within the context of the life they were already living. In 1219, Francis became deeply concerned about the Crusades. He lived in the period of the Crusades, and he decided he was being commissioned by God to seek peace to the conflict that was going on between the Christians and the Muslims. And so he traveled to the Middle East. Imagine this. And he sought and got an audience with the Sultan of Egypt, who at the time was the power of the Muslim world. And he traveled and he later wrote, my expectation was that either the sultan would convert to Christianity or I would be martyred. Neither one happened. Francis said he had an ongoing, very meaningful conversation, but nothing was resolved. So Francis made his way back to the Holy Land, and for the next year or so he resided in the crusader fortress at Acre, and he ministered to those crusaders, preaching peace and what it would mean. He realized during that year, 1219, that his order had grown to a point of disorganization and chaos, and he began to formulate how he might organize when he returned home. He subsequently did, 
He gave new order and commissions within the structure of the Franciscan order and the Sisters of St. Clair and all of the things that were happening. But his health was failing. In 1225, he was offered a little hermitage, a, a, a place, a refuge. And he went there, and he began to reflect on his life, what was real, what it means, what matters most. And in 1225, he sat down to pen a poem that was based on Psalm 148, but was designed to encapsulate what he most believed about life and what had motivated him to live the life that he had ultimately lived. He sang the words already, but the poetry is worth repeating. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Alleluia. Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh, praise him, oh, praise him, alleluia. Thou rushing wind that art so strong, ye clouds that sail in heavens along, oh, praise him. Thou rising moon in praise rejoice, ye lights of evening find a voice, thou flowing water pure and clear, make music for thy Lord to hear, oh, praise him, alleluia. Thou fire so masterful and bright, that's in Texan, that's fire. Fire, I don't know what I said, but I know you didn't recognize it. <laughs> Thou fire, so masterful and bright, that givest man both warmth and light. Dear Mother Earth, who day by day unfoldest blessings on our way, oh, praise Him. Hallelujah. The flowers and fruits that in thee grow, let them His glory also show. For all you men of tender heart, forgiving others, take your part, oh, sing ye. Hallelujah. Ye who long pain and sorrow bear, praise God, and on Him cast your care. And Thou most kind and gentle death, waiting to hush our latest breath, oh, praise Him, alleluia. Thou leadest home the child of God, and Christ our Lord the way hath trod. Let all things their Creator bless, and worship Him in humbleness, oh, praise Him, alleluia. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. He died in 1226, just a few months after writing these words. And here's what I want you to grasp. What's life about? Listen, you and I are a part of creation. We're not separate from it. We're not other than. We may be here for a very short time. But St. Francis is saying, you want to know what's real? Go outside. The sun's real. The wind is real. The mountains are real. The ocean is real. And you're a part of it. You're a part of that creation. Take your place. Join it. Don't be separate from it. Don't live below it. Don't think that the things that are happening in your temporary journey, in your temporary light, in your temporary life, don't think that is reality. That's not reality. That's just something that's happening within a greater context that's eternal and permanent. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your voice. Look at something else. See something else. You have far more in common with the mountain than you do with the politics of the United States of America. That in fact, what we celebrate today is the dream of a politic that reflects the eternal value of the kingdom of God. That's what we celebrate. Independence Day, freedom, a soul kind of freedom at its very depth. I think when you stop and you think about praise and the power of praise, it has the power to reorder our lives. Five things 
that I think matter. And they're very short. Amen. Great praise has the power to shift our focus. Man, ain't it true? I think about this sometimes. I think when we sit in here on a Sunday and we praise, and I hope at home you feel great freedom because nobody's looking at you or, you know. But I just have a feeling that you people praise differently when you're alone than you do when you're here. I just have a feeling that there are folks in this room that sing into the hairbrush in the bathroom. I just feel like there are people that just cut loose. You just let go. You just, there's great abandon. You dri- I've seen you driving in your car. I mean, don't you love to drive up on somebody that is just belting it out? You know, you don't know what they're listening to, but man, they're gone. They're not with us. They're doing something. I hope they're watching the road. And some of you are like that. Some of you praise and celebrate and something happens deep inside of you and something shifts. Music's like that. It has great power in us. And praise for things that are permanent and eternal have the ability to shift our focus. I don't know about you, but I, you know, in being a, a person that has studied theology, it's almost funny. Because, you know, you go to seminary and they, you, you go, I got to get these classes. And you know how that stuff works, you know. Well, you got to take some classes in practical theology. That, that means <laughs> there's so much theology that's not practical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not really what it means. But <laughs> you do have to take special classes in practical theology, which is, you know, how do you baptize somebody, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and always in that category are things like, you're going to take a class on praise and worship. We're going to go learn the theological tenets of praise and worship. And you take a whole class and you write papers and you read books about praise and worship. And I don't know about you, but I probably right here in this room, some of us have said, I need to praise more. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to get better at it. It's a discipline. I'm going to learn how to praise God. I'm just going to learn how to praise God. I don't know if you know this, but that is not the perspective of the Bible. The Bible suggests you are a creation of God woven into you is your need to praise. You just need to reconnect. You just need to let go. You just need to be, stop being so uptight, so worried, so focused on other things. Just let it happen. Do you ever have that happen? Did you ever just be singing and then suddenly you're just like, whoa! <laughs> Hope nobody saw me. Because you know how to praise. It's deep in you. And it shifts our focus. Number two, it humbles our attitude. We're no longer the top of the food chain. And all of this year, through this political cycle and the pandemic, and da 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 you know, the people I worry about most are the people who feel like they figured it out. I really enjoy being around confused people. <laughs> Amen? Because I believe them. Because here's what I think. I don't, I don't know all the answers. I believe some things and I believe them passionately. And I'm entitled to do that and live that way. But there must always be a humility in me. That just because what I believe and what I see makes sense to me doesn't mean I'm right. And when I praise God, when I honor Him above all else, there is a humility. I am not the top of the few. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And when I give Him praise, there is a deep humility. 
So much so that St. Francis writes right into the poetry with humbleness, we give this praise. Because we don't know. We don't know. When we praise and give honor to God, it humbles us. Number three, praise elevates our spirit. It does. I don't know about you. How many positive people are you around? <laughs> yeah. Because, I don't know, it's, it's, there is something wonderful about positive people, isn't there? Yes. About positivity, about an optimistic view of life and the world. And I don't know about you, but there aren't many. And even for a lot of us who think, oh, I'm really positive. I mean, it's buried way down there. It's under my angst. It's under all the remedial work that needs to happen in the world. It's underneath my frustration with all the people who don't know as they ought to know. Way under there. But way down there, I'm very positive. It's just waiting to get out. As soon as everybody straightens up, I'm going to be very, very positive. Amen? But when you're around somebody that doesn't see the remedial pieces of life, but instead sees the good and keeps calling it out, I don't know about you, but I like to be around people that like me. They're getting to be fewer and fewer the older I get. <laughs> I've chased most of them away at this point. <laughs> but don't you ever go hang out with somebody and you just come back and you think, I, I, they ask me all, they are interested in my, I think they like me. That was so fun. Praise has the ability to shift something deep inside of us. It has the ability to change our attitude. It has the ability to elevate our spirit. And I just wonder, when's the last time you just really gave praise? You just talked about what's eternal and, and real and good. You walked out and you went, I'm so thankful for the sun. Instead of, man, it's going to be hot again. We're in a drought in Southern California. My water bill's going to go up. Now my grass... Air conditioner leaked on my clean car. <laughs> Work with me here. Amen? Yeah. Funny, but not so funny. Because we live way down here. Way down here. And praise shifts our spirit. I don't know why I feel so depressed. I don't know why I feel so sad. Have you listened to yourself? Because what is good is eternal. What is real. Number four, praise reconnects our soul. We were never meant to do this alone. We are never meant to just walk around making it. We were meant to be the companion of the divine God of the universe. I will walk with you. I will sustain you. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. The thief will come to steal and to kill, but I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it in abundance. But I can't make you hang out with me. I can't make you see that. I can't make you connect to what's eternal and real and long-term. And by the way, it's never, ever going to change. Because I'll be with you now. In fact, I'll give you my spirit as earnest money, uh, guaranteeing your inheritance. So you can have a little bit now, you can have a little bit later. You can just from now on forever be in my presence. Or you can single yourself out from all other creation. 
You can pull yourself down from the mountainside and out of the sunlight and out of the breeze and away from the ocean, and you can live down in your small world, but you'll be sad, and it'll be hard to figure out. But I extend to you this invitation. Praise. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one. Sun and moon and mountains and creatures of the sea. And oh, by the way, you're a part of this creation. There's the DNA of God inside of you. Go ahead and let it out. Participate. Join the chorus of this great celebration. Uh, Number five, praise reorders our lives. It literally has the ability to do that. I wonder if you said, you know, I just, I, I, I so want my vision to shift and I so want to be a creature of praise and I want to reconnect with it. I, I wonder if maybe the beginning is just to be quiet. It's not, a, it's not, I don't have to go do something. I need to quiet down and reconnect with something that God has already put inside of me. I need to notice. I need to wake up in the morning and say, God, would you help me see? Would you just help me see? Would you remind me that I'm, I'm an eternal part of creation? Maybe I only get to be here for just a very few years on this planet, but I'm a part of something eternal. Would you help me to connect with that part of reality? And would you allow that be a source of praise in my journey in my life? Because here's the truth of it. I'm leaving a legacy. We're told now by scientists that trauma can get inside of our DNA and it can be transferred to our children. Have you read these studies? It's terrifying. There's got to be another study that says my praise and celebration can get in my DNA too. And I may be here for a very short time, but I already know this. My children reflect some of my DNA. And it's not just the physical reality of that. There's a spiritual reality too. And their children are going to reflect some of it. And their children. And maybe in a generation or two, they won't even remember my name. Maybe I'll just be some, you know, I'll just show up on 23andMe or something. But don't you think it matters? Don't you think just like trauma matters in the story, don't you think praise and celebration matters? I want to participate in something eternal. And I want that legacy to be a light and salt in the real world. Just a few years ago, Scott and Brooke Lightwood uh, were going through sort of period of time in which they were offered an opportunity. In fact, the way the song evolved was that there was a melody, and the melody then needed lyrics. And so uh, Brooke began to write some lyrics. And she later reflected on this. For the first time in a long, long time, there was a praise song that had room for lyrics. Because I don't know if you've observed this, but a lot of new songs don't have very many words because there's no room for them. Except we repeat them a lot. So she said, I I recognize immediately that we had this melody, and this melody was a spacious, empty space. And it was ready to be filled with lyrics. And I felt the inspiration to begin to tell the story of God. So I started in Genesis, and for the next two years, she and her husband, they, they played around with lyrics of telling the story of God. And she said, when we finished two years later, we recognized that what had been written was a modern hymn. 
It was genuinely a modern hymn. It began in Genesis and it made its way all the way through this parting moment in which the church of Jesus Christ is set free in the world. And she said it was a song of great praise and celebration. And we called it King of Kings. And we're going to close in a moment and we're going to sing that song. And what I love about it is it's a brand new song. It is relatively brand new. But it's ancient. And what I love is it doesn't matter if the song was written in the 13th century or if it was written in 2019. These eternal truths are real. And when we strip away all the other stuff and we get down to the core and the heart of it, these are things that are permanent and eternal. And they're worthy of our time and energy and focus and praise. Fix your eyes on things above. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. We're going to share communion as we prepare our hearts to sing and close in this praise song. You don't need to be a member of this church. The feast is for his disciples. If you've never prayed a prayer of confession and received forgiveness, we're going to pray one together as a congregation as we prepare our hearts. I invite you to pray one. And then we will participate. You can start to navigate those complicated little things that you have. I know. We'll get it here in a moment, and I'll say, take and eat, and remember it's Christ died for you, and you'll be like, uh-oh, 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 so go ahead. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks. We recognize on this day that even this act, this moment, is a participation in something eternal. It is a celebration that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That we are not asked to live in brokenness or obscurity. We're not asked to live in the remedial reality of life. Life is hard. It's got plenty of things to discourage us and distract us. We're invited to live at a different level. To speak a truth about the God of the universe who so loved us, he sent his only son to rescue us to redeem, to forgive and cleanse, to make us whole, to give us reason for great praise and celebration. And so even in these moments, we celebrate the eternal truth of it. Would you allow us in these moments to confess to you how often we live in things that are temporary and uncertain? How often we allow ourselves to be distracted by things that we know aren't that important, but they're just important right now. We're just human. And your word says that we can bring all of our anxiety to you. That you even care about that stuff. Your gracious love reaches into our little story and deals with us where you find us. But you invite us to more. And so in this moment, as we prepare our hearts for this table, we confess to you our sins. Here in the room, online, as one family, we gather at this altar and prepare our hearts for the table. Please hear our confession. We're so thankful that your word teaches that when we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness.
We dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and be thankful. And now, Lord, we have participated in this eternal truth. Now would you inhabit the praise of your people. May these words, this celebration, the condition of our heart not only change us, but maybe they may be a fragrant offering to you. Hear our praise, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. amen. Let's stand together and lift these words. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.